Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Amen. Well, hey, it's good to be here this morning. My name is Matt. Uh, Welcome again. Uh, Welcome to River of Life. Glad you're here. If if you're new with us... um, uh, you're, you are, you're so welcome. I, I met a, a new, I, I think they were new anyways. Um, they were wondering, is it okay if I bring coffee in the sanctuary? I thought, you must be new here. <laughs> of course it's okay. We got cookies, we got coffee. We just love to fellowship. We love to worship. Um, and you're welcome here just as you are. Uh, God's mercy is new every morning. Uh, but God loves us more to leave us where, how we walked in. God loves us more. That, 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 you know, he, he loves us in a way where, sure, he, he welcomes us just as we are. But he loves us enough to go, hey, but I got more for you. I got abundant life for you. Would you, would you understand who I am more fully? And I pray that we walk out of here uh, changed people. I pray that even now we're remembering where our minds are being renewed about who he is, about who we are, about what, what our mission is um, as people of God uh, today. Anyways, uh, you are welcome here just as you are, but I pray that you leave changed. I pray that you're already being changed. Uh, by the power of his Holy Spirit and his word as we dig into it this morning. Um, again, I'm Matt, one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, we've been going through um, a series of psalms. And you know, as I was thinking this morning, we're, we're, we'll get there to where we're going, but as I thought of the psalm that we were going to, I couldn't help but remember that we have a God who speaks. And I had a renewed, like a fresh thankfulness for that. Uh, we don't have a God who's completely transcendent. Um, you know, there's, there's certain a sect of people that, that believe, they're like deists, okay? They, they believe in deism, that God's like this transcendent God. He's up there somewhere. He created the world and kind of got things going. And then he was just like, okay, I'm going to just kind of chill up here and just not have anything to do with humanity. That's, that's like the opposite of who our God is. Our God not only created the world, he spoke. He spoke the world into existence. I believe he sang it into existence, but he spoke and he, and he, and he, and he caused the cosmos to happen and the earth and he forms and six days of creation. We know the story. Maybe we don't. God created the world in six days. He's that, he's that powerful. That's who he is. And he didn't stop there as he continued speaking to us, as his, as his revelation from his voice box came to the world in creation. He created Adam and Eve and everything we see, all, the, all of creation. He then speaks to the, the patriarchs as, as biblical history kind of continues on. He, speak, he speaks to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And he, he speaks to these, these forefathers, if you will, of the nation of Israel. And, and he says, hey, I have something for you guys here. Let me, let me share my promises, my covenants with you. He's speaking, he's speaking. He continues. He speaks to the leaders of Israel, like Moses and Joshua, and then, then all the judges. You got Samuel, and then you got the kings. When Israel wanted a king, and, and, and God was like, yeah, you really don't want a king, believe me. You want me to be king, but they wanted him anyways. And so King Saul, King uh, David, Solomon, and all the, the ups and downs of the kings. But God spoke through that time, okay? He spoke to the kings. He spoke to the people of Israel, his voice was being made known, revealing his character and his will for how they ought to live and, and who he is and how they ought to live in light of who he is and his holiness. 
God continued speaking through the prophets in that time of the kings. You had, you had prophets like Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah who would hear from the, the word of God, would hear God's voice speak to them to speak to the nation as, they were, as the nation was so fickle in their faithfulness to God. He has spoken through his son. God the Father has spoken through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus being God himself as he spoke, was literally speaking the words of God as we come to the Gospels. Jesus Christ came and he spoke to humanity as the word became flesh, John 1 says, and dwelt among us. Whoa! Just bask in that for a little bit. The word became flesh. That was in the beginning with God, became flesh, the word incarnate. And he spoke God spoke, he continued to speak as we continue to kind of look at the biblical history. He, he spoke to the apostles, okay? You got the apostle Paul, you got all the disciples, and as they continued writing the New Testament, God would speak, and, and as 1 Peter one twenty one talks about the Holy Spirit leading these guys, as, as, they, as God would speak to them and led by the Holy Spirit, they would divinely write, write the New Testament scriptures for us. And we have the completed word of God this morning, this God's spoken revelation. And it didn't stop with the apostles. God still speaks today to us. I pray this morning as we, as we were even worshiping, considering his word, considering his truth, considering things God has done in our life, I pray that God was speaking to our hearts and our minds even this morning. We have a God who speaks. Question. It's not a question if, if God speaks or not. <laughs> Do we long for and do we love God's spoken revelation? Do we long for it? Do we want it so badly that it's, 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 a, it's one of the deepest desires of our hearts? And then a question is, does your life show that? Do your actions, do what you do, does the amount of time, if you will, does the amount of money you put into it, does the amount of uh, energy you put into it, does the amount of your talents and your, again, I said your time, does that reflect what we may say with our lips this morning? We've been in the Psalms. We've spent the last six weeks teaching through the Psalms. We've looked at the book. That you can look at where we've been in the last few, several weeks. This week, we're coming to book five, okay? We've, we've, spent, we've, we've chosen basically a psalm per book. The, the way the psalms are broken up, there's five main books. And um, we're coming this week to book five. And there was a lot of great psalms again in there. But as I prayed and asked God, God, where do you want us to go for book five of the psalms um, without doing all of them? Um, he, he led us to, to look into Psalm 119. Um, it's a psalm that celebrates and it reveres and it, and it, it very clearly cherishes God's spoken revelation to us. Uh, it's a beautiful psalm. Uh, consider, w- would you turn with me, Psalm 119 real quick. Uh, we're we're going to pray in a moment, but turn with me to Psalm 119. I want to just kind of hit a couple highlighted verses that we may, maybe we've known as as kids or as we grew up, um, memorizing maybe some of these scriptures. I just want to kind of give a, a few verses here, some key highlighted verses that may, may have a place in our hearts this morning. How about Psalm 119.11? It 
the psalmist says, I have stored up your word in my heart, in the deepest part of who I am, in my heart, that I might not sin against you, God. Whoa. How about verse 14? In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. He's saying, I delight in your testimonies. How about um, verse 40? The psalmist says, Behold, I long for your precepts in your righteousness. Give me life. God, give me life. I long for your precepts. Verse 50. This is my comfort. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. He's being comforted by the word. He's, being, he's longing for the word. He's delighting in the word. How about verse uh, 97? Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. And Psalm, we'll, we'll just do one more. There's, there's, there's a, a bunch more we could do. But Psalm 105 might, might be personally one of my go-to verses for a lot of time. Like I, I quote this verse in my head quite a bit. Psalm 119, 105. And I'm sure you guys got it memorized. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. And it's a light to my path. His word. The psalmist here, and we don't know who the author is exactly. Um, that's okay. There's different ideas on it. But I'm okay with not knowing. This guy, he, he cherished God's word. He, he longed for it. You can, you can hear it in his words and just those few scriptures we just looked at, those few verses. This guy longed for God's word, for God's spoken revelation to him. And today, I'd like us to consider, okay, I hope your juices are flowing a little bit. I want us to consider how can we as a a people, both corporately as as a church, and I'm not just talking River of Life, I'm talking universal, the church, capital C. How can we as individuals though as well and as families, how can we be a people who cherish God's spoken revelation to us? I believe we can always be growing and our cherishment of it. And I believe, and I've been there, and, I, and God reminded me, hey, you're, you've, you've definitely been there, and, you, and you, you are there in some ways in your life right now, uh, in, in ways where, where I'm not growing, like I'm just kind of staying the same, like, you know, I re- re- reached a point in, in longing for his word, and then kind of was like, okay, well, this is, this is good and good enough. But God's like, hey, how can, we, how can we as a people continue to grow? Even if you're at a 10, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, I say, why end at a 10? Go to 20. You, 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 know, you know what I mean. How can we keep growing to treasure it? To treasure it in our lives today. I've titled today's message, and you guys see it here, Cherishing God's Spoken Revelation. Understanding the fullness and majesty of God's law. And where I want to go, a little bit of a roadmap for us, uh, this morning, I, I want to look into a few things that I believe, if we kind of understand and take in this morning, that, that we can maybe take some steps and, and, and at least form some ways where after today we can leave here with maybe some things to, to hold to as we grow and cherish uh, God in his revelation to us. 
And I pray that can be true. So number one, I want to look into the structure and arrangement of Psalm 119. Kind of, and I wouldn't say dry, but, but some just, just basic observations and how this psalm was put together. It's really interesting. And it, and it breathed some new life for me as I read this and looked into how they, the psalmist arranged this psalm in its practical and intentional structure. Uh, so we're going to look into that, first of all, this morning. Uh, secondly, I'd like us to kind of look into and understand, as the psalmist was writing Psalm 19, he, he, had, a, he had an Old Testament perspective, because that's where he was in, in biblical history. And I, I want to look into that, gaze into that, and, and kind of, okay, what, what, what was that all about? For someone in the Old Testament, as they considered God's law and God's spoken revelation. And number three, finally, for us here on this side of the cross, okay, on this side, we're on the, in the New Testament, we're, we're, we're the saints, we, anyways, we'll, we'll get into it, but what's our perspective now? Okay, and, and we'll see that we have a more full, a much fuller perspective than an Old Testament person. Now, before I get too far, I, l- l- let me pray. Let's ask uh, Lord Jesus, by the power of his Holy Spirit, uh, to speak to us, because if he doesn't, it's all for naught. So uh, just ask, ask him with me. Lord Jesus, we, we just, uh, we pause. Lord, as we consider your spoken revelation to us this morning, God, in Psalm 119, we, we pray, uh, Lord, that your, your word would truly be a lamp unto our feet this morning and a light to our path. Um, Jesus, would you, by your, your Holy Spirit, that I praise and indwelling every single one of us this morning. Uh, would, would you illuminate your truth to us? Would you apply it to our lives? Uh, Jesus, we want to be changed men and women uh, by your voice speaking this morning. And Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let, let's jump in here a little bit. Number one, the, the practical, intentional structure of Psalm 119. If you're not there... Uh, and if you are, the, and if you've read through the psalm, you, you've seen some of the stuff. You, you, you've probably wondered, well, what is that word before the stanza, and what what are all these different things going on, and why is it so long? Um, th- this psalm is actually it is it is the longest. I, you say chapter, but it's not a chapter; it's a psalm. But it's the longest chapter of the Bible. It's got 176 verses. It's got a lot of stuff going on. It's got a lot of, not repeating itself, but it's got a lot of just, it's saying kind of the same thing over and over again in different angles and different ways. And it's like, whoa, what's the point of like, you could have said what you said in about 20 verses, but you go on for 176 verses. But it's awesome, okay? And there's a point to it. This is an acrostic, it's an acrostic poem with 22 stanzas exactly, which follow the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Okay, so the, there was a point to the psalmist doing this. In Hebrew, they have the 22 letters of the alphabet, and you know, it begins with the elf, and it ends with whatever it is at the end there. I forget. Off the top of my head, it doesn't matter. Anyways, 22 letters. Within each stanza, okay, there's eight verses in each stanza. I never really noticed this before, but I saw it this week. There's, there's eight verses. Every single stanza has eight verses, and each verse begins with the same letter as the heading of that Hebrew alphabet. Why? Why? You know, the Holy Spirit, as, as the Holy Spirit was divinely inspiring the psalmist to, to pen these words, why, why put in the detail and the structure and the stanzas and the headings and the verses all kind of coming in together, how he crafted this psalm? Well, there was a quote that, that I thought was, was, was pretty, pretty telling of why. 
the Tyndale Old Testament commentaries said a lot more than this, but to give you just a piece, of the acrostic form gives a sense of completion and of totality. And to be sure by the end of the psalm, if you were to sit and read the psalm through, sure by the end of the psalm, one feels that the poet has indeed fully covered his subject, which is cherishing God's word. Cherishing God's word. Within this structure, he also, the psalmist uses eight, you'll find eight different Hebrew words that, that, that are all kind of, they're not talking about the same thing, but they're all pointing in the same direction. God spoke in Revelation, and he's using eight different terms, that like eight, if you think of an octagonal like 3D figure, there's eight different sides to it, but it's all talking kind of about the same thing. And real briefly, I'm not going to get in the weeds here because actually, as I read on some commentaries, the, the psalmist's intention wasn't to necessarily separate these and kind of separate them out and, and give like teaching on each of them. His main point was, that, hey, look, look at how many angles these have. Okay, so I'm going to just mention these though for, for when we read Psalm 19, 119, I want us to kind of understand that they do bring different angles to talking about God's word and God's law. So number one, I think they're up, yeah, uh, you guys can jot these down. Uh, so, so one word that he uses to describe God's spoken revelation is law. And this term means it's kind of the most, not basic, but it's, it's, it's the one term that you could use kind of for all of them when, when using the word law. It, it means God's instruction, any kind of God's instruction. This word can be used to describe a single command, like a single command, or describe a whole body of laws. Like you get into Leviticus and you talk about the sacrificial laws, it could, like it could refer to those laws as just a body of laws. Or again, law can be talking about the all of, all of Scripture. So law is kind of a big word, and, and I can, we can use law and God's spoken revelation kind of synonymous to each other. The law reminds us, though, that God's spoken revelation is not just simply for interest or for knowledge or for kind of tickling our minds. No, it is for that, but it's also for obedience. Okay? Law. Testimonies. Israel was told to put the first five books. They had the Torah. They had the Pentateuch in this day when the psalmist read this. And God told them to put it next to the Ark of the Covenant to be a witness to them as a people as they would remember the works of God among them. Okay, so testimonies has this, has this picture of God, what God has done. The stones of remembrance of what God has done for them. Testimonies, precepts. What, number three, the third word here, precepts. What God has specifically appointed to be done. This is kind of an interesting word. It's drawn from a sphere of an officer or, or an overseer, a man or woman who, who's responsible to look closely into a situation and to take action. And really this word precepts really points to the particular instructions of the Lord. He has some particular instructions, doesn't he? His precepts. Number four, statutes. What the divine lawgiver has laid down. Okay, the divine lawgiver has laid down his statutes. They speak of a binding force and the permanence of Scripture and of the laws literally engraved. Remember the Ten Commandments, literally engraved to be upheld forever. His statutes. Uh, Commands, number five. What God has simply ordered to be done. He's the commander. 
He gives commands. This word emphasizes the straight authority and the right of God to give orders. Number six, rules. What the divine judge, it kind of kind of angles of the judge here, the divine judge has ruled to be right. Rules communicate decisions of the all-wise judge about common human situations. Okay, we're dappling into human and morality and behaviors towards each other. And the fair dealing between man and man is the main focus of rules or sometimes translated judgments there. Number seven, and we know this one well, the word of God. Word. Literally what God has spoken, his voice box, what he has spoken, what has come forth from the mouth of God. This is the most general term. Kind of like law, this can embrace just about anything when you're talking about God's law or his word or his spoken revelation. It embraces God's truth in any form, whether it's stated or promised or, or, or an imperative like a command. Finally, uh, you'll see promises throughout the psalm and throughout the Old Testament, by the way. Um, And promises is is just what it is, what God has specifically promised with covenants and blessings to his people. So there's your eight, and you'll see these. If if you go go, go home and and read through this, you'll see these bouncing through. Whoa, oh, precepts, rules, judgments, commands. Like, wow, whoa, what's going on here? So I want to, to to show this, Let's t- turn to verse 41 with me real quick. Let's, let's just do an exercise. Let's see these words, these eight Hebrew words that, that are all kind of making different angles and different lights to God's law, to God's spoken revelation to us. Let's read the stanza, wah, okay? Uh, verses 41 through 48, and let's, let's count them out in our heads as we go. 41, let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Okay, 42, then, 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 I sh- or, then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually, verse 44, forever and ever. Law, four. 45, and I shall walk in a wide place for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. For I find delight in your commandments, number seven, which I love. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. So there's the eight there as just an example for that. Let's read one more. They're, they're, like I said, they're all through this. Let, let's read uh, Resh. Resh is verse 153. Almost towards the end here. The Hebrew letter Resh. Verse 153. Let's count them out. Look on my affliction. Deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my case and redeem me. Give me, give me life according to your promise. Salvation is, is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes, O Lord. Great is your mercy, O, o Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors. We sang about this this morning. Many of my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. Man, do you see the fullness that he does here? I look at the, the, I look at verse 158, I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands, number six. 
Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. And then verse 160, the sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. There was a point. Do you see it as you read that? Did you get, like I know, I was like, man, this is awesome. As I read through this psalm the last week or so, it really helped me go, man, there's a fullness to this. There's something going on here that the psalmist and divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit wanted to do here. And I, and I hope you're, you're getting the sense with me on that. The structure and arrangement is indeed amazing, and it does bring a rich fullness and completeness as we explore all those different angles of God's law. Now, the psalmist, as he wrote this, he inevitably, just based on when he was born into the biblical history of the world, he had an Old Testament perspective. He had an Old Testament perspective of God's spoken revelation. As he writes this, he has something in his mind. When he says law, he has something in his head. When he says precepts, he has things in his head of, of memories of what God has done and what God has spoken. And, 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 and so he has this perspective inevitably and specifically. And scholars, scholars believe, as we look into this, Psalm 19 was most likely written in the mid to late 5th century BC. This is the time when the Jews, remember they were held captive. The Babylonians came in, conquered Israel and, and King Nebuchadnezzar and all that stuff happening. And, but as they, as they became free, liberated from that, in the mid to late 5th century, this is when they believed that this psalm was written. So, so we know in, in terms of biblical history that, that, that this psalmist had, had the first five books of the Bible. We know that. He may have had Joshua, maybe Judges and Ruth. And that might be about it. And it's not like, by the way, it's not like everyone had Scripture like we do. It's not like everybody had these, you know, sitting on their desks at home or even ten copies of them. But we know that he definitely referred to the Torah. And that's another word just for those first five, or the Pentateuch, sometimes referred to as that. Those first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He had this. And as he, as he penned these words, we need to remember that his perspective was, that's what he had. Okay? Now I want us to pause here because as we read Psalm 119, I think we can read it, and we should, we, we read it with our own perspective, you know, kind of where we're at, and we'll get there in just a moment. But we need to remember, he was where he was at. Isn't that interesting? You're like, what are you talking about, Matt? No. I think it's really interesting that as he penned these words, as he cherished God's word, he was speaking specific, specifically just to those first five books. Have you ever read Leviticus? Does that breathe life to you? Like, you know, and definitely Genesis, I could see, yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, I can see in Numbers and Deuteronomy, you know, some of these stories and stuff. But, but there's some of those first five books that really, honestly, if we were honest with ourselves, like, how, how does this guy cherish this? Why? Well, maybe it's not all about the words. Maybe it's not all about what was written physically on a piece of paper. Maybe it was more about the author. John MacArthur kind of speaking into this a little bit. I got, got his quote up here. I thought this was, this was pretty good. Quoted or alluded to thousands of times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the Pentateuch, again, those first five books, was Israel's first inspired body of Scripture. 
for many years, this alone was Israel's Bible. Another common title for this section of scripture is Torah or law, a term that looks at the didactic, okay, the, the, the teaching or in the instructional nature of these books. The Israelites were to meditate upon it. You see that in Joshua 1.8. They were to teach it to their children in life, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 8, and read it publicly in Nehemiah. Just before his death and Israel's move into the promised land, Moses set forth the process by which public reading would make its way into human hearts and change their what with God? Their relationship with God. And from there, ultimately, their conduct. John MacArthur in his biblical handbook speaks of that. The law revealed, okay, when I say the law at this point, I'm talking those first five books of the book. The law revealed and still reveals, as we turn to those first five books of the Bible today, still it reveals who God is, does it not? His character, His holiness. The law also gave instruction on, on how we, or as humanity, must relate to God and see where we are. He's, he's here in His holiness and His standards and who He is, and, and we need a, we, we're here. The law is wonderful, for it reveals the way His people needs to relate to Him. The law is delightful, for it instructs and, and it, 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 it instructed back then and it instructs us today of how to live holy and moral lives before God and before others. And it's in this, we, we, just, like, like, we just need to see that this, this man, the psalmist, as he wrote this psalm, had this perspective of just those first five books. Even upon those, he says, I cherish your law, O God. A question for us this morning, how do we now, okay, that's kind of an Old Testament perspective, I should maybe go this way for you guys, Old Testament perspective, how do we today cherish the law? Now I'm beginning to use the law in terms of its fuller meaning, like the law, not just the first five books of the Bible, but the law, God's word, the, the entire scripture that we have today how do we today okay and we're over here we're 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 post christ we're post cross we're post resurrection we're post holy spirit coming we're post now we're being indwelled by god's holy spirit we're going to get into what that kind of looks like in terms of the law and whoa like we're post these things so how are we as we approach Psalm 119 in different places and, and, and even in the Old Testament where it talks about treasuring his law, loving his law, how do we, what, what lens, what glasses, if you will, do we put on today as we fully cherish his law for us as the New Testament church? Well, it's fun. This is going to be fun. We, we definitely approach it in a much fuller point of view. Number one, we have the completed spoken revelation. We have the completed word of God. Not to be added to. Not to be added to. There, there is no more 
revealed, revealing of God's scripture, God's word of God, his revealed spoken revelation and will to us. There is no more to be added to this book. Right? Okay? We have the completed word of God. And within that, of course, is the Torah. So we we not only have the Torah, what the psalmist had, but we have the entire finished Word of God, all 66 books of the canon as his spoken, revealed word to us. 2 Timothy 3.16, I think it's on the screen. Uh, All scripture is, is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching. Praise God and for reproof and for correction, for training in righteousness that the man and woman of God may be complete. Yes, complete, equipped for every good work. We have the fullness of his scripture, the completed word of God. And I pray that, that these things are happening in our life. I pray that we're being taught from it. I pray that we're being reproved. I pray that we're being corrected when we're going down a wrong path. I pray that we're being trained in understanding our righteousness, right? Our identity series, I don't know, two years ago. Who, who we are in Christ, we have his righteousness. We're gonna get there here in a moment. Anyways, and that, that, that we might be complete and equipped. Are we being equipped by, by the word and as we share the word and as we listen to and read the word of God for every good work. And, and that scripture goes on to say that God has predestined beforehand for us to walk in. Yeah! And he's like, hey, here's my word to help this, encourage this in you. Secondly, our New Testament perspective. We have Jesus. Sunday school answer, but it's for real. And we need to remember that the psalmist, remember the psalmist, he, you know, man, the psalms, they talk about this redeemer coming and this prophet that's going to come that's greater than Moses. But they didn't, they didn't quite get it. They weren't there yet. But on our perspective, we get it. We have Jesus. First of all, we have Jesus as God's spoken revelation, literally the word of God made incarnate, which is such a beautiful mystery. The word of God made incarnate. We have Hebrews uh, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The book of Hebrews, what a beautiful book, um, uh, talking about the supremacy of Jesus. And it starts off with this. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Whoa! Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So we're getting some theology here, but, but not to be distracted by what's going on in this verse. But for us this morning, he has spoken to us by Jesus. God's spoken revelation, the word made incarnate. Not only that, but we also have in Jesus, he is the fulfillment of the law. Okay, we, we've talked about this, you, you, you know this, but I just had to point it out this morning. Jesus makes, makes a few statements about the law and the gospels and about himself. And, and he says, he, you know, do, not, do not think that I've come to abolish the law, Jesus says, or the prophets, but I, I've come now not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Whoa, whoa, to fulfill them, not to do away with it, but to be the fruition, to be the fulfillment of it. Jesus says in Luke 24, 44, he says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me, everything written about me, Jesus says, in, in, the, in the law of Moses, that, that's the Pentateuch, that's the Torah, in the law of Moses and the prophets. There you go, there's the rest of the Old Testament. And even in the Psalms, he says, 
must be fulfilled. We are on, like, I know we know this, but do we actually, do we let it sink in that we're on this side of that? It's awesome. It's awesome. But I don't think we give it, I don't think we give it, ah, I don't. I don't give it much in my life and the normal routine of life. I don't know if I could honestly say, man, I give this weight on a Tuesday afternoon when I'm doing the normal thing that I always do Tuesday afternoons. I don't know, you know. I want to be someone who, who does it though, who gives it weight in the mundane. Our perspective today is to cherish Jesus as ultimately the crescendo of all biblical history, of all the law and all the prophets and all the Psalms. Jesus has the crescendo both of God's spoken revelation and the fulfillment. I had to dig a little deeper because this was just fun. Look what the Apostle Paul has to say about our perspective today. Galatians, and actually, you guys should turn to this. Turn to Galatians 3. I'll let you turn there. It's on the screen too, but I want you to see it in your own word here or on your phones. As we treasure God's word, here's God's word to us talking about these things and what our perspective can and should be today. Galatians 3, 23. Paul says, now before faith came, huh? Okay. Okay, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian, or some translations may say tutor or schoolmaster. The law was our guardian, what? Until Christ came. Whoa, okay. In order that we might be justified by faith. Yes! Verse 25, but now that faith has come, now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Praise God, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now listen to the statement of James M. Boyce in his commentary about this word guardian or tutor or schoolmaster, whatever your Bible has translated that, guardian. Listen to what he says about this. He puts it really well. The guardian was a slave employed by wealthy Greeks or Romans to have responsibility for one or a few of the children of a family. Okay, so a guardian was a person employed by these wealthy people to, to, to have responsibility over um, one or more of the children of a family. He had charge of the child from about the years six, okay, when the child was six to 16, and was responsible for watching, listen to this, he was responsible for watching over his behavior wherever he went and for conducting him to and from school. Now Paul, you know, he, he knows this term. It's, it's a term that they used in that culture. And so, so Paul's just speaking this very practically to this day and age, to this, this church in Galatia. And Paul is pointing out that this responsibility ceased. The responsibility of the guardian ceased when this person came to age of 16, when the child entered into fullness of his position as a son or a daughter. Whoa! Did you catch that? When the person became of age as a son or a daughter, this guardian would be like, okay, you're done. You don't, don't not need it anymore. Not, 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 not in terms of you throw it out and it's no good to you anymore, but... There's something new. 
There's something, there's a fullness, there's a new position as a son. Becoming a, a knowledge adult by the formal right of adoption by his father. Okay? The law was a guardian. Instructing on behavior. Okay? A tutor showing us that we fall short. If there was no standard, if there was no rule to, to meet, we wouldn't know that we were sinful. Paul goes on to say, you know, you read Romans, you read all of his books. Paul's very passionate about this. The law was given and the law is good because it shows us our sin. It shows us our gap between a holy God and here's what it looks like to live in holiness and and morality and and ethically and and all the things that God is and desires of us. And it showed us, it, it, it tutored us, it showed us, it schoolmastered us to understand we need a savior. We can't do it. It's awesome. But so many of us get stuck there when we're in the New Testament perspective. We get stuck in being like, oh, I got to follow the law, follow the law, which is true. But, okay, we're continuing this perspective. And I got I to gotta kind of hustle. Um, Romans 8, 3 and 4. Romans 8, 3 and 4. It's on the screen or you can turn there, but I'm going to read it. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son, Jesus, in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law, whoa, might be fulfilled in us, us who, who, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Whoa. Whoa spend a year in this, and I'm going to do it in like one minute. Okay, but, but just hear the word of God here. That the requirement of the law, verse 4 says, might be fulfilled also in us. But, but you got to know, even if you're a believer, if you've bent your knee of your heart to Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've realized, man, I have fallen short. I, I, yeah, these Ten Commandments and all these things and all these, the, your holiness, I fall short, yeah. And so we've bent our knee to Jesus. Uh, Jesus, I need you as my Savior because I, I just need a restored relationship with, with God. And, and maybe we've done that, but some of us can get stuck in living out of the flesh. And so we're, we're, not, we're not living out the law at all because we're living in our flesh. So in some ways, we're, we're, anyways, the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. According to the Spirit. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit in our New Testament perspective, our lens, the reality of where we're at in biblical history. Praise God. We have the comforter. We have the helper. We have the one who empowers us to live as God would have us live. There's so much more to say. We cherish the law today. Absolutely. Yet it's in, we got to remember when we read, and I hope you do, go home and read Psalm 119. Enjoy it. Enjoy hearing him cherish the law and his statutes and his testimonies and promises and his word and his, his rules and all these things. But may we have our perspective as we read this. The new perspective as we see law and as we see statutes, may we see Jesus is the fulfillment. Yeah! And on oh, the Holy Spirit working in and through me. 
boy, I'm, I'm fulfilling the law too as a, as a believer. I'm fulfilling this as I live out in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I love your law, God. I love Jesus. I love the Holy Spirit. I love the way you work in and through me. I love how I can abide in you as the branch abides in the vine. These things need to be going on in our head when we're reading about the law and about statutes and about God's word in Psalm 119. This perspective. May we feast. We have the completed word of God. Are we feasting on it? Does your time on a weekly basis, and I'm not being legalistic here, but I'm just reality check. Like, does our time show that we love his word? Because if it shows in a matter of a week that you've spent maybe three minutes in it, you know, I don't know if that's a good litmus test or not. I don't know. I don't want to judge. And I don't want to lay any kind of rules on us. But the fact is, if you delight in it, you do it. And you spend time with it. I'll just let that sit. Do we cherish, uh, we, we cherish the law today in our perspective that Jesus is the word made incarnate? That he's the ultimate fulfillment of the law and the prophets. We cherish the law as we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we, as we uh, live out the law in righteousness, in Jesus' righteousness, um, I'd like to invite the worship team to come up. We've got to keep moving here. We want to end in song because I love worship. And, and, you know, God speaks. God uses psalms and, and songs and choruses to make melody of his truths to us, and, and God works. But as we come to close... I had a thought, I woke up Friday morning, I had kind of prepared, everything was kind of done, I had most of my slides good to go, and, and, and the Lord said, hey, remember that little thing that you kind of said in the beginning and, and you thought about the whole relationship piece of, of the Old Testament perspective, it was about relationship. He's like, you know, sure, we, we today we have this perspective of, of even what, what Jesus has done and the awesomeness of the Holy Spirit and but even in that, what, what's the point? What, why? What's the point? So what? The point is the relationship. God, God started speaking to humanity because he loved us. And he saw we were in need. And so he began to speak. And he began to reveal himself. And then, then came his word and divinely inspired people written by the Holy, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit wrote this word for us that we might have a relationship with him. Question to people who have friends or are married or any sort of someone who has relationships other than themselves throughout the week. If you didn't spend any time, we, we say this a lot, but if you didn't spend any time with them, would you have a relationship? Psalm 119 is a psalm that, yes, cherishes God's law, his word to us. But I think behind it, like we said in the beginning, I think behind it, the psalmist was just so excited that the law pointed him to a relationship with the God of the universe. And I, and I believe that's what we need to cherish. May we let the word of God um, fill us and point us and motivate us and challenge us and spur us on to pursue God in relationship as a father. He's a father to us and a father who we can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. 
a relationship. Jesus is told at some points that he's like a brother to us in some ways. We are heirs with him. Are we abiding in the vine? Are we abiding in Jesus? In relationship, on real time, in real ways. Ultimately, God has spoken to us because he wants a relationship. Maybe this morning, as we close in song, maybe this morning, maybe you don't have a first thought of a relationship with God. Maybe this morning you're coming in a little, like, I'm just curious of who God is. I'm curious of what church is all about. Well, let me tell you, it's all about the Lord Jesus and his love for you. And that you have fallen short. You know it. You've fallen short in your sin. You, You haven't lived up to a standard that God would desire of you. And you need a savior. Maybe this morning. Maybe you need to come to the place where you you realize that Jesus died for you because he did. Maybe you need to bend your knee as we sing this last song. Maybe you need to bend your knee and say, Lord Jesus, I want to know you as my Lord and Savior. And I want to walk in newness of life. Jesus, be my king. Maybe for some of us today, maybe we've done that and we've we've walked and we've treasured his word and we've allowed it. But maybe, maybe we've become a little stale in our relationship with him. Maybe it's become a checklist of, ah, I spent time in his word. Oh, okay, I spent time doing that. Okay. But maybe it's not all about the relationship. I'm kind of there, guys. Okay? Maybe you're here this morning, and during this last song, you just need to say, God, I want to restore. I want to remember. It's all about a relationship with you, Jesus. And I want to live out of this. Let, let, let's stand. Uh, let, let's allow this last song to sink in. Let, let's sing as we close this morning.